listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Acts chapter 9, we'll be looking at that in just a moment. Well, as uh, Natalie mentioned in the video announcements that uh, this past week, Harvest University took place and about 3,400 people gathered in Oakville as well as in Chicago at the same time and, and joined together for a time of, of training and teaching and equipping. And it was also a reunion of, of people getting together and being able to meet up with people they maybe met last year or in other Harvest churches that they've gotten to know. And, and it was just beautiful just to see the fellowship taking place. And, and of course, true to Harvest standards, uh, as who we are, it's our DNA. There was a strong emphasis on the Word of God, pillar number one, on, on, on worship, lifting high the name of Jesus in our worship and powerful, powerful worship time. In Chicago, they said the most powerful time of worship took place is when actually the power went out and they lost all power and they just sang a cappella for, for the morning and, and God just showed them it's not by might, it's not by our power, it's not by technology, but by the Spirit of God and, and emphasis on, on worshiping and, and on prayer as we believe firmly in the power of prayer. And then just also the reminder that we are made for this, that we are to get out there and we are to tell others and see others' souls saved and we are to, to plant churches and, and, and to be a part of this most important important work. And we were, we were reminded throughout the course of the days of the conference that we've been called by Christ, commissioned by Christ, equipped by Christ to the greatest mission and the greatest purpose ever. It's not about building our bank accounts or about our portfolio. It is about the name of Jesus and making his name great. That is the reason, that is the purpose that we are here on this earth for. And it is so encouraging to hear the reports of, of 151 churches around the world uh, just in the last 12 years that that has, has developed and has happened and in 19 different countries. And, and right now, currently, there are 40 pastors in the training center for church planting. And so, Lord willing, there will be another 40 harvest churches within the next year that will be planted worldwide. And that's just the beginning of, of what God is doing. There's also a training center for pastors now that has opened in Romania to, to, to serve the European nations. There's one that's going to be opening in Haiti to serve uh, that region there as the gospel is exploding there. In Canada, there are 13 harvest churches, but in the next few, few years, like in the next year, year and a half, that number, Lord willing, that number will, will grow, Lord willing, to around 20 harvest churches, including another one out west in Alberta. I'm just not sure exactly of that that location, whether that will be Calgary or Edmonton, but we're excited to have another Western um, uh, Harvest Bible Chapel out here, and, and, and just even encouraging to hear that in Romania, in March, they did their own version of Harvest University and had 400 people attend that from over... 20 European countries. And so there's a hunger and, and there's a thirst around the world and people are noticing what God is doing through the work of Harvest and we're just thankful and excited to be a part of it. And I just hope that what I've just shared with you just is even just whetting your appetite to hear more. I mean, potlucks are amazing. I mean, come hungry, leave full, right? You know, that's what church potlucks are the best. Come tonight and, and we'd love to have you come and eat, but not just leave full of food, but leave full of 
of just encouragement. We're going to watch a report, a 30-minute report from Harvest University about what God is doing around the world. And if your socks aren't blessed, off, uh, aren't, aren't blessed right off you, you're dead. You will be, like, if you don't walk out of there tonight, you know, just like so thankful and so excited and just saying, hey, let's roll up our sleeves, let's be a part of, part of this. If you walk out of, uh, it's okay, um, let's go home and watch TV. You know, like, you're, you, you, I don't even know if you'd be alive. Like, really, it, it's encouraging, it's exciting. Come tonight at 4.30 and we'll have a good time of worship. We're going to watch this presentation and then we're going to spend some time just around our tables, just praying together. Oh God, would you open doors? Would you open doors here in this city, in this region? Would we be part of some church planting efforts here locally, but also around the world? God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to us? God, would you do a greater work in and through each one of us? And so encourage you to come tonight. You won't be sad uh, that you, uh, you won't be sad in coming. You will be greatly encouraged. Folks, we need to know that God is at work in a powerful way, and he invites us. He calls us. We were made for this. This is what we have been made for. And, and we see this pattern in the early church, in the, book of, in the book of Acts. We see the multiplication of the church. And this is the series that, that we're in here in the book of Acts, that the church multiplies. And, and, and we see the church begins, but now it's multiplying and great things are happening. And as we come to the end of Acts chapter 9, uh, by this time, the church is five to six years old. And, and this is where we left off last week. And this was our last verse last week. And so in verse 31 of Acts chapter 9, great verse verse, love this verse, beautiful uh, truth here that we get to read. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And over the last, uh, over the last few years for the early church, these six years, the church saw some explosive growth. And in, in Acts chapter 2, if we were to do a quick recap, we see that there was a core group meeting together in the upper room. And there was 120 in this core group, and they were praying together. And then the Holy Spirit came upon them in a mighty way. And the word of God gets proclaimed, and all of a sudden, that core group of 120 grew to a mega church all in one day. 3,000 people saved, 3,000 people. People are part of the body of Christ. I mean, what an amazing sermon that Peter would have preached at that time. And, and, and just to see the power of God do a mighty work there in Jerusalem. And, and in Acts 2.42, love this verse. It says that they were devoted to what? They were, voted, they were devoted to the word of God, to the apostles' teaching. Pillar number one, they were proclaiming the authority of God's word. And they loved it. And they, were, they wanted God's word proclaimed to the breaking of bread. They were coming together and exalting Jesus and remembering his love and his sacrifice. So they're breaking the bread together and worshiping Jesus. It was a church that prayed together. They were devoted to prayer. When, when suffering and persecution started to come, they didn't say, oh God, make it go away. They said, oh, may we be bolder. And prayer gives you strength. Prayer brings in the power and the might of God into our lives and into the situation and then we just see how they shared the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness. They took it out and people were being transformed. Even as they faced opposition, they continued to per persevere. By Acts chapter 4, we see that there was another 5,000 people that believed. So now we're at, if you can do math fairly well, I think maybe I can, 8,120 people possibly, even more than that. These are just now estimates. And, and we are seeing God do this work. In Acts chapter 5, 
dramatic and powerful miracles taking place. More and more people are getting saved. They learn, the early church learns a powerful lesson about the fear of God, about the holiness of God, about how serious we are to take God. And that painful lesson was a reminder of them of Ananias and Sapphira. But as we continue to keep reading through 5, chapter 6, verse 7, there's opposition and persecuting starting to come. We see Stephen is martyred, and as he is being martyred, there is there the instigator, the one that's overseeing this, that's watching this, is that evil terrorist, that Saul of Tarsus. But then he gets saved, as we've been looking at over the last few weeks. He gets saved. A terrorist becomes a follower of Christ, a pro, uh, one who would proclaim the name of Christ. And we see now as we are ending chapter 9 that the focus now moves away from the Apostle Paul. He is actually taken to Tarsus. He is sent by the disciples for fear of his own life. They send him to Tarsus and he is going to remain there for five or six years. We don't even know fully what he was doing at that time. But now the shift in the book of Acts, where we're going to look today, comes back to the disciple of Jesus, to the apostle Peter. And so we're going to see what ends up taking place here in the life of Peter. And, um, and, and so the, the shift is taking place, and we're going to be looking at that here today. Now, up until this time, just so you know, that the Christian movement, the church basically was distinctly Jewish. There were very few Gentiles, non-Jews, that were part of the established church at this time. It was starting, but not in a major way. The gospel was spreading. It started in Jerusalem, and it moved out into the different regions. What did Jesus say in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? He said, he says, but you will be my witnesses. He says, when you receive power from the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be, be my witnesses, which actually is, is, is actually the Greek form for that word witness is martyr. You will be my martyrs. You will be ready to give your life. You will be ready to surrender your everything, your all, in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so in verse 31, as we just read that a moment ago, I'm going to read it one more time. Listen to the names of the locations where the gospel was spreading and where the church had peace. The, uh, verse 31, so the church throughout all Judea, Samaria, through Galilee and Samaria had peace. What area was missing? Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and, and where? Yeah, the ends of the earth. It's going to move out. It's not going to just stay here in, in, in this region here of Jerusalem and, and Galilee and Samaria. It's got to move out, and so far it hasn't done this yet. And so we see that, that if it doesn't move out, it is just going to become another Jewish little sect. There was all kinds of these little religious Jewish sects all over the place. And if it didn't move out, if they weren't faithful to the call of God, they were just going to become this comfortable, nice little group of believers. And this, this is also something that we face even today. We like comfort. We like it comfortable. We can easily become complacent. We get into a good place. We get into our comfort zone. We have our friendship circles. We have our small group. We may have those around us, and it's just like, this is good. And yet the pull of Scripture, the call that we see in the pull is to move out, to keep moving, to, to keep taking new ground, new terry, territory, touch the lives of other people, and, and not just to remain... Uh, among ourselves, and this was the call for the early church. We have been called, just like the early church was called, we are called to go, to move outward, 
And I truly believe that everyone sitting here, every one of us, wants our lives to count. We just don't want to go through life just kind of putting in how many ever years the Lord gives us and then die. We want our lives to count. We want to make a difference. In fact, I read recently a number of times, and so it must be right. Well, not necessarily, but, but I can really agree with this, that they say one of the greatest fears that people have is not public speaking. It's not the fear of, uh, of even death and dying, even though that's a great fear, that one of the overriding fears and concerns that can haunt people throughout their lives is that they would live their lives and not make a difference. We want to make a difference in the lives of our children, our grandchildren, in the lives of those around us. And as believers, we are wired with the DNA to want to share the gospel with other people. But we've got to bust out of those comfort zones. We've got to continue to keep moving out and, and knowing that complacency and comfort is something we're always going to be fighting and is, we're going to have to resist that and stand up through that. We also understand from reading the word of God is that Jesus is the answer for our world. You look at the mess that our world is facing. Jesus is the answer. He is the only answer. It's not going to be by electing the right president, the right prime minister. It's not going to be dealing fully with ISIS. The answer is Jesus. And we have this message. And so we are to share our faith. We are to move out from our comfort zones, just as the early church needed to do the same. Now, all kinds of books. I've been a pastor for a good number of years. I, I don't even want to try to do the math and figure out how long it's been. But I remember one year, as I was packing up some of my books, I had a stack of books that was probably up to my hips as far as church growth and personal evangelism, the kind of how-to. I mean, good books, a lot of good material there, some formulas and, and some way to go about doing it. And, and you can go and you can, can even go online. I kind of did a little Google search this week about it and kind of had a chuckle. And, and it was just about books on church growth. And boom, you get all of these different, you know, ways that you can guarantee, you know what, your church to grow. And you can do this and, and put on a fantastic show and you can have, have puppets or you could have this or that and you can really draw a crowd. But we're not interested in drawing a crowd. We're interested in getting people to Jesus, amen? And that the truth of Jesus would be proclaimed and that, they, that opportunity for people to receive Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior would happen because that is where real change happens. And, and even at Harvest University, there were, uh, I heard it was very good, one of the workshops that some of our people attended was on personal evangelism. We need to learn these things. And yes, there's good books and different things that are out there. And yet the most powerful tool that we have for personal evangelism and how to do life and how to grow a church, it's found in the Word of God. Amen? This is where the answer is. This is where the truth is. And, and, and so we have the Word of God. And so we're going to, I mean, we believe fully here at Harvest uh, that God's Word is powerful, that it is, has been breathed out by God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us that, that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's profitable for teaching, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, the woman of God, the child of God would be complete, equipped for every good work. And so today we're going to look at the Word of God and to see how we can learn from the life of Peter and see the life that God uses, that we have been made for this, that we have been made for God to use us, every one of us. 
No matter who you are, no matter what you've done in your past, no matter your gifting, or, or you might just say, I, you know what, I, I think when it came to, to giftings and talents, you know, the Lord overlooked me. False, wrong, not true. Every one of us, God wants to use our lives. You've been made for this reason and for this purpose. And in this passage, Peter has some principles for us to learn. Now, Peter doesn't stand up and <clears throat> he's a great preacher. And I'm sure he could teach. Yeah, I mean, he was able to take on those synagogue leaders. I mean, the guy could really pump it out. But he doesn't give us a formula on how to live a life that God can use. He shows us. He shows us by, by not just telling, but by actually putting it into action. It's one thing to say something to someone. It's another thing to actually do it. And so we're going to look here at this passage, and we're going to see what Peter is doing, how he set the example. He shows us how we can live a life that God can use, how we were made for this reason and for this purpose. And as a result of what Peter does here, the church multiplies. Incredible things take place. Lives are impacted and changed. And Peter shows us how God can use a life like his. And if God can use a life like Peter's, he can use you, he can use me. Look at verse 32 of Acts chapter 9. It says, Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. We're just going to stop there. The first thing we see about a life that God uses is that it does not allow the past to determine the future. A life that God can use, the past does not determine the future. You've got to understand that. That is so important. I wonder, when you think of your own life, maybe you don't want to because it would be too discouraging. You might think, oh boy, there's chapters in my life I just wish I could just forget about. I just wish there was a chapter, these chapters could just somehow be erased, you know, just hit delete or something like emails or like you do other, other things on a computer. You might say, oh, I don't have a chapter, Melvin. I've got chapters, years, decades, regrets, failures, missed opportunities. Oh, I was so young and foolish. Or, oh, I'm so old and stubborn, you know. And, and, and the things that you wish you just could have done differently, the way that things played out, and, and you think, oh, I was just so proud. Or, you know, oh, I was just, I wasn't thinking. And, and, and now I'm living with these regrets. I'm living with these failures. Do you have some of those in your life? Well, there was a definite chapter in Peter's life, <laughs> and, and it's not even just a chapter. It's recorded in many chapters in the New Testament. In fact, he gets reminded of this by the gospel writers. It's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, and, and, and there he is, you know, Peter, prize-winning Peter, some of the things that he did. Here he is, disciple, you know, uh, transformed fisherman that, that is transformed by Jesus. And, 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 and he's right in there. I mean, he's all in. I love Peter. I mean, he, he, he just was always willing to jump in there. You know, there was nothing cautious about him. Just jump in there, whether it's jumping over the boat, I'm going to walk on water. I mean, he's in there. He, he's, he, he's one of the top three. He's in there in the inner circle with Jesus, with Peter. And there's Peter, James, and John, and you see these guys. And, and, and they're very close to Jesus and, and he's very important and even at one point Jesus even hey, Peter your name means rock and on this rock I'm going to build my church I'm going to build my church on you Peter yeah, special he's been called he's been chosen to do great things for God very close to Jesus. 
And even the night when everything is, 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 is ramping up and, and, and things are happening to Jesus. And, and, and here you see this guy from fisherman to church builder. He's going to be a planter. He's going to be the church planter, the church. I mean, he's going to be the one to get this whole thing. He doesn't even know what the church is really all about because it really wasn't a church yet, right? But hey, if you say it, I'm in. Like, let's go. But the night that Jesus was betrayed, he leans into Jesus and he says, just so you know, Jesus, I'm here for you. No matter what happens, to the death, I am so ready to die for you. I'm in. Committed. You know the story. And Jesus said to him, he says, before the rooster crows, you are going to deny me three times. And I'm sure he's thinking, there's absolutely no way. Uh, Yeah, it absolutely did happen. And he did deny him. And I'm sure that after that third denial, it was like, oh, I can't believe it. And from a distance, he watches Jesus suffer and die alone. What regret, what a failure, what a loser. Can't believe I did that. All of this different kind of thoughts and that is going through his head. And yet Peter does not allow his past failure to keep him from living out God's call upon his life. God's grace is for everyone. It was for Peter. And it's in all things, through all things, no matter the past, no matter our faults, no matter our regrets, the heinous things that we may have done, Jesus forgives. And here we see the beautiful grace of God. I love Mark's account of the resurrection. Jesus rises from the grave and an angel speaks to the ladies. This is in in, in Mark chapter 16 and verse 7. And the angel says to the ladies, hey, go tell the disciples and Peter. Make sure you let Peter know because Peter is like, the guy is beating himself up. And even just, it gets singled out. Make sure you tell Peter, Jesus is alive. And that changed everything for him, for us, for the whole human race. Go and tell Peter. Jesus saying, I want Peter to know that it's going to be okay. And then what does Jesus do? He continues to pursue Peter. Peter, still at a loss, not sure what to do. This is number of days after the resurrection and he's like i don't know what i'm going to do and so some of them go out and they go fishing and of course they catch nothing and 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 what does jesus do he shows up on the beach has a fire going for them there and he's there continuing to pursue peter and peter comes and he and jesus have a talk we don't know fully what was said in that conversation but we know that things were made right there was a repentance and there was a a a love that love relationship never changed on jesus end. peter felt like a failure moron couldn't believe he did that kind of thing that he and jesus loved and forgave and then what did jesus say three times three times he denied three times jesus said to peter he says now i want you to feed my sheep i want you to take care of my lambs i want you to feed my sheep three times he says this is what i want you to do and so what do we see peter doing in acts chapter two he stands up and he's feeding feeding the sheep all right he's feeding them with the word of god he stands up and three thousand people get saved And now in Acts chapter 9, we see what is he doing? He's leaving the place of comfort. All of the disciples were still hanging around Jerusalem. You know, just kind of the brotherhood going on there. They had the 12th chosen. This is all good, you know. And and, 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 and there they are. And, And Peter moves out. And we see that he moved out into the surrounding region. He was willing to go into the surrounding villages to do what? To tend the flock of God. To feed the sheep. To go encourage and preach. Yes, his past was in public record. Yes, it's all there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But our past doesn't have to define us. 
when we have an encounter with Jesus. Our past becomes a glorious reminder of what the power, the saving power of Christ has done. People, don't allow your past. Don't allow those failures to keep you from the life that Christ has for you and for the mission. You were made for this. You were made for this mission from God. And if we are in Christ, our past does not define us. We are now defined by Christ that when we are in Christ, we are new creations. The old is gone. Our identity has been changed. John 8, 36 says we're no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to our past. We have been set free by the power of God. And the enemy loves to remind us. And I'm sure the enemy oftentimes would remind Peter of his faults, his failures. Even at times probably he said, oh yeah, you know, like that night then when, when, when uh, the officers came and, and, and the, the chief priests came to arrest Jesus. And, and I mean, there's Peter again. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take out one of these guys. He pulls out a sword. And we don't know who it is, except John then ends up telling us, oh yeah, by the way, it's Peter. You know, and I mean, he even stunk. I, I love the way James McDonald said it this past week at Harvest U that, that he couldn't even deal a death blow to one of the soldiers. I mean, he even missed, you know, chops off his ear, you know. And, you know, and I'm sure he's like, you're such a failure, Peter. Throughout, we're going to hear that. The enemy is going to try to destroy us, discourage us, and remind us of our past. And we have to remind the enemy of what Christ has done. Amen? And to remind him that we have been made as new creations, that we are in Christ and we are forgiven. Our past does not determine our future. Second of all, we see a life that God uses as a willingness to get, to get our hands dirty. We're willing to get dirty hands. Let's keep reading here. I'm going to start at verse 32 again. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas. Bedridden, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydia and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when she, and when they had washed water, had washed her with water, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, "Please come to us without delay." So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one, Simon, a tanner. Peter, an apostle of Jesus, powerful teacher, leader, leader of the apostles, leader in the early church, would argue and debate with, with the synagogue leaders. It was very important, very important place in Jerusalem for him to, to be there. That's kind of the center. That's where he's got to stay. And yet, he was willing to go out and he was willing to get his hands dirty. Here we see him leaving these comforts and he went out to these surrounding regions and he got involved personally in the lives of people. 
It wasn't just about standing up and being able to proclaim to them and preach another, you know, just bang out sermon and see more people get saved. No, he, he went and, and it was the, the hand-to-hand relationship. He got involved in the lives of people. He was willing to get his hands dirty. He was following the commands of Jesus. Peter, go and feed my sheep. Take care of my flock. And this means to personally interact, not just from afar, not just from a distance, but to get into the, into the lives of people, to touch their lives, to look them in the eye, to be able to touch them, to be able to speak to them, to give counsel and advice. Now, Lydda, we have a map here, is located about 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem today. This is the site of the airport in Tel Aviv, where Lydda is. And so, just to give you a little perspective there, 25 miles north of Jerusalem. And so, he's moving out from, from Jerusalem. He's there in Lydda. There he finds a man, verse 30, 33, it says, There he found a man, Aeneas, bedridden for seven years, who was paralyzed. I love these two words. You may want to underline them in their Bibles, and I hope you remember it. He found. It wasn't the paralyzed man coming to him. It wasn't people bringing the, how could the paralyzed guy come to him, right? He's paralyzed. It wasn't people bringing him. Peter went out looking for this guy. He found him. That's important. That's an important thing to remember. He went out and he found this person. This man, Aeneas, was helpless. Not only bedridden, but, I mean, he was paralyzed. I mean, this guy had no future. There's nothing going for him. Maybe it was an accident. He had been, been paralyzed, not from birth. This is for eight years. And in eight years, his, li- his life would have changed drastically. I remember being in, when I was in college and we would go to some of the Regina Pat hockey games, some of the junior hockey games, and, and some of my friends were at this game. I wasn't there, um, but I ended up hearing about it and, and, and the city was left in a state of shock. One of the hockey players was driven hard into the boards and, and he ended up being completely paralyzed and, and is in that state for the rest of his life. And, and just there was different foundations and different help for him. And, and I remember it was about a year, year and a half later going to one of those hockey games and he was there wearing his jersey. And he was there watching the game. Just totally, you know, in one of those wheelchairs. It was a very nice wheelchair and with a a, a mouth control to be able to control it. He had a worker there. He was helpless. This guy's helpless. Thankfully, we live in a society with all kinds of help and and different things to to help people in in, uh, countries like ours and and, um, third world countries. Even to this day, if a person is paralyzed, good luck. Life is over. And Peter went and he pursued. He went and found. Christ pursued him. He went and pursued others. And this is what what he did. This guy was down and out. There was very little hope for him. And Peter, being mighty, powerful, could have been useful in Jerusalem, but he seeks him out. He goes after the marginalized, the struggling, the hurting. He follows the example of Jesus. And, And then, verse 34, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, he says. Rise and make your bed, and immediately he rose. What an amazing thing. He finds Aeneas and, and sees him there, and he says, Jesus, it's not me. It's not my power. It's Jesus Christ heals you. Now, I know some of you ladies have been totally distracted here when I read that, because for some of you ladies, this is the miracle of all miracles, a man being told to make his bed. You know, like, come on, you know, rise and make your bed. It's just like, boy, I wish I could say that to my teenager. I wish I could say that to my husband. You know, arise, make your bed, you know. And, and what does he do? He does it. 
How amazing is that? I mean, that, that is a pretty phenomenal miracle within itself. So, you know, not only is, is the paralyzed given, given new legs and, and a new future, I mean, he, he even made a bed. Like, that is amazing for men. To, and all the women said, amen, right on, good, yeah, you know, just, um, so try that tomorrow morning. Say that to your spouse or to your child or, uh, you know, arise, make your bed. Here we see something amazing, though, that Peter continues to stay there. He's there. He's available for the people. But then in verse 36, we see that the call came for Peter to go to Joppa. Joppa was about another 10 miles away. It was right on the coast of the Mediterranean, a very beautiful place. And, and so this wouldn't have been a tough place to have to go to, but he was called here to go on mission. And, and it says, uh, two men came because there was a serious problem in Joppa. One of their disciples, a very dear lady, had died. And so Peter was asked to come without delay. And in verse 39, what does Peter do? Take a look at that. What, what does Peter do? Does he say, oh, just, just hold on, I've got to finish my sermon. Still got to preach. I got to, I got to prepare this. I, I, I'm, I'm on a roll here. Or, you know, I'll come after I take a nap. Or, you know, let me check my calendar and I'll, I'll get back to you. Oh, you need me to come? Well, you know what? Um, I need to eat first. Or, hey, can we, get a, can, can we stop for a Starbucks, you know, before, before we head to Joppa? I mean, that's, that, that's 10 miles. It's going to take a little while. Can, can we, you know? No. What, what happens? He goes without delay. He goes right away. He does this 10-mile walk. I don't know. Maybe they had horses for him. We don't know. But I'm also wondering as he's going, he's like, well, why are they calling me? Is it to take the funeral, to speak at the funeral? Because, I mean, she's dead. I mean, God's given him the ability to heal people. And even at, at one point, we read about earlier in the book of Acts that even his shadow, when it would fall on someone, you know, I don't think my shadow, my shadow's over there, you know, right now, but my shadow isn't going to heal anyone. But Peter, I mean, people that would even fall in the place of where his shadow would fall would be healed. But to raise someone from the dead? I mean, who does that? That's only a Jesus thing. And so I'm, I'm thinking, he's going there. He's like, what is this all about? But God had a special work for Peter. God had a special miracle for the people. And it all happened because he was available. He was ready to get his hands dirty. The call came. It wasn't, eh, I'll get back to you. No, he went, are you available? Are you available for God to use? Or do you have to check your calendar? Are you all already ready for that next time you get a, a phone call, an email, a text message to come along and help or to serve even within the church or, or to help someone out and you already have your excuse all ready to go? Are you ready to say no even to some good things in order to pursue the God things? Are you ready to re- reorganize your schedule, your day, in order to get your hands dirty for others. It's tough. It's not easy. But we see the results. You were made for this. This is what you've been made for. This is what we've been made for. But it's amazing how sad, my own life included, how our priorities can get so messed up and we can be everything but available to God. And I read this this past week, I believe it was from John MacArthur. He said, the best and the most thing we can be to God is available. That's the best and the most thing we can be to him for anything. With an available and a ready heart, ready to respond to him. That is when we can, that's when he then can work through us. Using our talents, our gifts, our abilities. But if we're not available, we can't be used by him. And the greatest thing we give him is our availability. 
We give him our heart, say, I'm yours. God, do that work. It's that surrender of, of our heart. It's the surrender of our pocketbook. It's a surrender of our calendar. But you think, but how can I make a difference? I mean, really, when it comes to church multiplication, when it comes to the salvation of souls, what can I really do? I'm not very talented. Got a bit of a past. Got this or that. Are you available? Are you available? Get your hands a little dirty. Get them a little sore to get them a little tired. Well, we can look at someone who, on the surface, didn't look like she had a lot of ability. But wow, did God ever use her? Look at in this story here, we have this woman by the name of Dorcas or Tabitha. I think I would rather go with Tabitha if, if, if I was choosing names and what I wanted to be called. You know, like, uh, oh, I see your name is Dorcas. Yeah, call me Tabitha. You know, um, um, it actually means the same thing. Dorcas is the Greek name. Tab- Tabitha is the Aramaic name. And you know what the name means? It's kind of cool. It means gazelle, which is beautiful and graceful. And here she is, someone who was living up to her name. Are we living up to our name as a follower of Christ? I mean, my, my, my name, personally, I know that none of you have ever met another Meldon. I never have yet. Facebook has very few Meldons. Um, my name does mean dweller at the mill hill. It, it, that's literally what it means. My, my mom found it in some baby book and like, ooh, I like that, you know? And so uh, what does a, I guess, pounding out grain, you know, something like that. Now, now, we don't go so much by that today, but are we living up to the name of Christ follower? And this is what Tabitha was doing. She was living up, she was gracious, she was gentle, but she was using her gifts to bless others. She wasn't preaching. She wasn't teaching a ladies' Bible study. She wasn't, you know, pumping out Beth Moore-type books or anything like that, you know. But she was fulfilling what God had gifted and called her to do. And God gave her a love and ability to sow, to make things for others. And from the Greek phrase here, it translates that she was doing this and it wasn't for profit, that this was a charitable act that she was doing. And so here she is a woman who was making garments, outer garments and undergarments for women, for widows, for those who were greatly marginalized by society and and were often left on their own. And so here we have a room full of widows. When when Peter comes, he doesn't know what kind of a scene he's walking into and and they're going around not saying, oh yeah, I have that nice little thing that she, she made for me. It's up on the wall in my house. No, it's like, this is what she made. We needed this. She fulfilled a need and she has helped me in this. And, and these ladies are mourning and they're wailing. They're weeping because their dear friend, this one who, who made herself available, ready to get her hands dirty, not with cloth, but at times maybe her own blood at times from, from poking herself and different things with needles. They didn't have sewing machines in those days, but boy, she must have worked hard to make all of these clothes. She used the gifts, the abilities that God gave her. And they're grieving. And it shows the great influence and effect that we can have on others by simply doing what God has gifted us to do. By showing kindness. By doing whatever it takes to, to bless others. Sometimes it might be a note of encouragement. There are some people who I believe they're put on the face of this earth just to simply encourage others. And to, I mean, for other reasons, but one of the ways they've blessed me the most is through their encouragement, through their love, through their prayers, through kind deeds. How has God gifted you? Are you using that? Are you willing to get your hands dirty? So in this passage we've looked at here today, how many miracles have we, have we covered? 
How many miracles in this passage? Not, not too hard to answer. How, how many people had miracles happen to them? Hmm? Just shout it out. How many people had miracles happen to them? Hello? Are these chairs too comfortable? Was it one person that had a miracle happen? Was it two? Wrong. Wasn't two. Wasn't three because the guy made the bed. You know, that's not the third miracle. No, the miracles, and I guess you were kind of quiet because you knew it might be a trick question, and it was. How many miracles took place? Hundreds. Thousands of miracles took place because of Peter not allowing his past to define him and willing to get his hands dirty. We end up seeing verse 35. Listen to this. I mean, this is the word of God. Verse 35. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, the paralyzed guy, now walking, now leaping, now praising God, making his bed in the morning. Uh, and, And they turned to the Lord. We don't know how big Lydda was. We don't know how Sharon was. But it says all these people turned to the Lord. There was a turning to God because Peter was faithful and available for God to use. And the greatest miracle, it's not that a paralyzed man could walk, it was that a sinner destined for hell responded to the gospel, came to Jesus, repented of their sins, and were given a new life. That is the most important, the greatest miracle that can take place. Amen? When a soul is saved, when they are clutched from the grips of hell and from the direction that they're heading and they turn their heart over to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and they are made a child of God and they have a new place in God's family, they have a home in heaven guaranteed and help and peace here on this earth, not peace in in, in our outer world. That's going to get chaotic. That's a guarantee. But we can have peace knowing that God's presence is with us no matter what. Hundreds, thousands of people impacted in this way. Verse 42, and it says, when, when Lydia was, or not Lydia, when, when uh, Dorcas was raised from the dead, it says, and it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. God takes our availability. He takes our readiness to get our hands dirty. And we use it for God and he multiplies it in ways that we could never ask or imagine. How often do we, when we hear or see opportunities to get our hands a little dirty, do we say, here am I, Lord. Send someone else. Someone else will do it. I'd love to tell you that I just knock it out of the park every time when when that happens, but I don't. Even this past week, coming back Wednesday night, yeah, Wednesday night from harvest you and it was a short week and it was like oh I have to work on a sermon and that and usually part of my sermon preparation means I go uh, for a day kind of off-site just get away from Cheyenne because he's such a distraction Uh, that's not true Um, but but I get off-site just kind of go to oftentimes it's a public place um, and and I work there the white noise is wonderful and and I'm working and and getting things ready so Thursday I was I I was in my my location doing this and and uh, it was a fairly public place and 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 three young people came and sat down close to me and and you know what you size people up as 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 they come and 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 I mean 
mean, this was an easy one. Uh, they had accents. They were from, uh, from jo jolly old. You could tell that they just had beautiful, maybe they were fake, but I don't think they were, British accents. And, and, and so, you know, they're sitting there and you could tell, okay, they're kind of wearing ski gear. I bet you they're here maybe to work at Big White. And, and, and so they're talking and I'm working on a sermon for you folks, you know, and so, you know, here I'm working away, and, and then they're kind of getting up. I, I wasn't paying attention to what was going on, but then they were talking a little bit. They were a little confused as far as where they were going next, and so I said to them, I said, what are you looking for? And they said, a thrift store, and, and uh, I said, well, which one? Uh, they said, well, someone told us about the Salvation Army thrift store, and so, I'm like, oh, yeah, and so I pulled up my phone, and I showed them where it is and gave them the directions, and all this time, I'm hearing the voice of the Lord telling me, Melda, why don't you give them a ride? Why don't you give, no, I have to work on a sermon for you people, like, and this is important work, and, and, and I don't get these promptings, like, all the time, like, oh, there's a need, I should go hold that door open for that person, or oh, I should, you know, like, oh, they spilt that, I should go, what? you know, but it was just very strong, that, give them a ride, and I didn't, I was like, I'm busy, I mean, I, I've got lots on, and, and I've got to knock it out of the park this week with a sermon after Harvest You, after hearing all those great preachers, and it's just, oh, I better... I, I got my work cut out for me. It was about 10 minutes after they left where I'm like, forget this, I've just got to go. I've got to go find them. I'll, I'll go see if they followed the directions that I gave them. And so I got, I, I packed everything up and, and I went looking for them and I circled all around the area, couldn't find them. And I, I did, I wanted just to apologize and say, hey, I should have offered you guys a ride and, and, and given them my name and my number and, and just maybe started. I don't know how it was going to pan out. I wasn't available. I was too busy. I was unavailable. I did. I, I asked the Lord to, to forgive me and to give me a second chance. Maybe with them, but with others. And I know the Lord will. At Harvest University this past week, we were challenged that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all people. The elite in society, to the middle class, as well as to the poor and to the marginalized. Who are the marginalized people that God has placed in your life? People who maybe will never even say a thank you. Maybe they'll never even know what you've done. Or maybe they'll never be able to pay you back or never say thanks. Or Who are those people in your life that, that you may be able to go to? I, I, I believe right now that... This is no longer a lecture. This is no longer a sermon. This, this becomes a dialogue. When God's word is proclaimed, and we've been praying that it would be proclaimed here today, that the Holy Spirit is now talking to each one of you. And that there are people, there's a situation where you know, it's just like, hey, this is a marginalized person. This is a person who could use some help, some encouragement, some time. You don't know what it is exactly, maybe even, but, but God's speaking to you about that person even right now. How about the homeless people? Maybe some of you are being called to, to serve in that area. I mean, does it really bother any of us that a few weeks ago on a Sunday morning that a homeless person was found dead just outside the doors of this theater? Does that bother us? Does that, or, oh, got to go home. NFL starts right away. You know, oh, I, I, I'm busy. I, I got my thing to do. What about working with young people? That, it's not the easiest group to work with. It's mainly awkward because you're awkward, not because they're awkward. And you just maybe got to get over your awkwardness or, or to serve. I mean, in, in some capacity that the Lord is speaking to you about and, and you say, hey, I could fill that need. I could step up. Or what about the refugees that are coming to our land, even coming to this region? Do we love them or do we detest them? 
we were reminded at, at, at Harvest U about children. Children are often the marginalized. I mean, neglected. They can be even at times abused. They can be hurting. How about Harvest Kids? I mean, that is probably one of the most important things we can do as a church. And yet oftentimes we just like, okay, you guys go off to your time. Have fun in there. Hope it goes well. We're training them. We're teaching them the mighty word of God, a foundation that they can build their lives on. Not just crowd control and just like, oh, I guess I'll put in time this week so I don't have to go on a list again for another time and you're rocking a baby or you're, you know, like around in there. But inter- loving, caring, praying, ministering to these. I mean, even Jesus, he went to the children and, and the desert. Oh, come on. I mean, why are you with these children, Jesus? And he says, hey, don't hinder the little kids. Don't hinder the little children from coming to me because it is there. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Who's God speaking to you about? You were made for this. This is how God multiplies his church, his work. It says we are willing to get our hands dirty. So oftentimes we, we do. We say, oh God, here am I. Send someone else to that. I'm waiting for the, I'll take the next thing that comes along. Maybe you think I'm not in a good place right now. Life, uh, just where it's at, I'm just not in a good place. Well, Tim Keller in a quote I read this week just destroys that. He says, even if our own troubles are great, we should still serve Jesus washed his disciples' feet on the way to the cross. And it's as we serve, God does amazing things. And he he gives us the power, the strength, and he brings the fruitfulness. Are we willing to get our hands dirty? Are we available anytime, anyplace, anywhere? We're not going to make it to our third point this week. Um, And I'll give it to you. You might want to write it down. And it's, a life that God uses has a heart of humility and dependency. And you can write down those, those verses. You can see that, that Peter wasn't in, in it for his glory. It was all for the glory of God. He was there for God's glory to exalt Christ in what he did, not himself. And as we close here this morning, the band comes up. These two miracles are a powerful reminder to us of the picture of the gospel. And here we have a person who's paralyzed, completely helpless. He could not save himself, but Jesus can. We cannot save ourselves, but Jesus can. This person who is, who is dead, Dorcas who is dead, dead Dorcas, could not raise herself. She could not bring new life into her. Only Jesus could do that. Only Jesus can save. Only Jesus can, can, can give new life. And that is the picture of the gospel, that that we are unable to do it ourselves and we cast ourselves upon Jesus and he's the one. What powerful reminders that only God can impart the spiritual healing. But we are to be faithful as his servants, be faithful and available, not allowing our past to define us or to shape us, but to see the new creations that we are. Father in heaven, we thank you that you've called us, you've saved us, You've redeemed us and you've given us a purpose and a meaning. We were made for this, to be, be about your work. God, I pray for anyone here today that doesn't know you in a personal way, that has never trusted you, that they're trying to be even like a Dorcas who was, was doing good work. She was busy doing good things and yet she was dead. She was dead even in her good works. But you made her alive. God, I, I pray that you would make us alive for the work that you are calling us to do individually, small groups, 
as a church, as a fellowship of churches. Oh God, would, would we be available, ready to do whatever you call? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and worship.